This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. There's nothing quite like a spotlight on a stage, a hush over a crowd, and the first notes of the orchestra. But a new report finds the Chicago arts scene, especially theaters, are in crisis. Commissioned by the city of Chicago, the first of its kind study looks at the health of arts and culture organizations in the city before, during, and after the pandemic. And it looks at trends impacting organizations of varying sizes and budgets to paint a full picture of arts in the city. So let's get into it. Zani Voss is the lead writer of the report. She is director of the Dallas-based research and data collection nonprofit, SMU Data Arts. So good to talk with you, Zani. Thank you for having me, Sasha. So arts organizations and museums across the country, they've seen declines in subscribers and members in recent years. Now, our understanding is that this was happening even before the onset of the COVID pandemic. So just talk to us, first of all, about how steep the decline in Chicago has been since then. Well, historically, subscribers and members, they have been a a really substantial presence among in-person attendees, particularly in the performing arts and and in theaters, and they really represent this loyal base of patrons, and they provide upfront cash to fill capacity throughout the year. Uh, they are the, the loyal patron base. Uh, we had done a study looking back as far as 2004, and actually for theater, subscription sales were nationally at their highest in 2005, and they've been dropping precipitously during the years of the Great Recession. They continue down downward slide thereafter. So what we're seeing during the pandemic is really just a, an exacerbation of an ongoing trend. In Chicago, the performing arts organizations and the museums in the, the data that we studied, they saw a 26% and 29% further declines in the number of subscribers and members, respectively, from 2019 through 2022. And really, what we saw in Chicago is uh, echoing what we see more broadly reflecting national trends. Mm-hmm. So we talked there about members and and subscribers. What about donors? What did your study find about that revenue source? For individual contributors, uh, what we saw was kind of flat giving from 2019 through 2022. The problem is that it's great that individual donors stuck in there with the arts organizations, but their gifts didn't increase to keep pace with inflation. And so as a result, the, the same dollar that was given in 2019 doesn't support the same level of expenses in 2022. It doesn't mean that they're, they're giving necessarily trailed off. And in fact, trustees, the individual donors who are kind of closest to the organization's missions, uh, particularly for large organizations, the trustee giving increased over time. When we look at how much expenses are supported by individual gifts, uh, you know, what we see, there was really no more than a 1% change over time in any direction. But it has to, we have to take into account the fact that expenses were reduced. So the individual contributions didn't keep pace with inflation. Mm. They were still about the same level relative to expenses. The big question mark will come over time as expenses continue to increase coming out of the pandemic and organizations add back programming that may have been cut. Will the individual contributions uh, account for the fact that inflation is there and growth is only possible with the revenue engine from a community that is taking into account the fact that costs are higher now? Yeah. What does the report tell us about attendance? Is it a, a story of slow growth or is it one of stagnation? The report tells us that there was remarkable uh, spike 
in the right direction in attendance from 2021 to 2022. The fact of the matter is that naturally, while doors were closed, uh, attendance plummeted. And so what we're seeing now in Chicago is that the closures, um, the recovery is still so that attendance is 60% lower now than it was pre-pandemic now being at the end of 2022. Mm-hmm. The fact that 15 Chicago arts organizations reported in-person attendance in excess of 200,000 people a year in 2019, whereas only one organization exceeded 200,000 attendees in 2022, really underscores the pervasiveness of the attendee losses. Uh, you know, we know that COVID was a major factor in the attendance drop-off. What remains to be seen now is whether this is the new normal mm-hmm. or whether it's just a, a slower rebuild. Uh, it'll be up to the, the wonderful arts attenders in Chicago to determine whether they come back to their pre-pandemic uh arts attendance behaviors. Yeah. And I mean, and out of all arts organizations in the city, you found theater was struggling the most. Why do you think that is? I think theater struggles for a few reasons. You know, if you look historically, uh, you know, opera, for example, uh, the NEA publishes the survey of public uh, participation in the arts. And on average, I think it's 2% of an average population will go to opera, but the opera attendees tend to be really fanatic about opera. Uh, Theater tends to attract a broader, uh, more diverse swath of a population and a broader uh, percentage of a population. And I think what we see is that some of the folks who would come every now and then to, to theater are not necessarily coming back at uh, similar levels. And for all of the performing arts, uh, they have a different operating model than a museum, for example. And so when you think of it, how people consume now in the rest of their daily lives is different. Uh, Where else in life do you have to be somewhere at a specific time, not at a time of your convenience? You can't get up, you can't use your phone, you can't talk to your neighbor, don't come late or you can't come in. Uh, and if you're not happy with the experience, then you really it makes it difficult to get up and leave. Whereas with a museum, you can go at any time within probably an eight-hour window, spend 15 minutes, spend an hour, mm-hmm. be as far apart from your neighbor as you want to be. So simply the the act of the the way that people engage with the art form makes it more difficult uh, for performing arts uh, organizations to now deal with changes in consumer behavior, particularly at a time where there was an explosion of people staying home watching Netflix in their pajamas, right. who may not want to get up and necessarily get dressed, go downtown and go to the theater. Right. So as you mentioned, you know, patrons haven't necessarily returned and, and jobs, according to the report, haven't either. Chicago organizations substantially reduced staff during the pandemic. Um, but reinstated all but 10% of employees in 2022. Um, We've been focusing a lot, uh, Zani, on the challenges that these organizations are facing, but there was good news worth highlighting, right? There was. uh, You know, with respect to return to to work, the small and medium budget organizations in the study slightly increased their average staff size. And organizations whose mission is really of, by, or for Black, Indigenous, and people of color communities uh, really grew their staff through the addition of both full-time and part-time employees. Another bright spot was that uh, government intervention during the pandemic did exactly what it was designed to do. Federal programs like the Paycheck Protection Program and shuttered venue operating grants 
saved jobs and kept organizations afloat. Thing is, now they've run out, right? So what do you think we can learn from the effectiveness of those kinds of programs? I think that one of the things we learn is that the federal or public funding is really essential to arts and culture. And I say that because we've done a lot of studies, even looking at, um, you know, the impact of local arts funding on arts vibrancy. It's really critical to the stimulation of arts employment, uh, to the number of independent artists per capita. You know, the public relief programs were the, the, the only change that I think would really help us to help to inform sure relief efforts is that the recovery is still in process and that the relief funding is no longer there. So thinking about, we all wished that as soon as doors reopened, we'd go back to pre-pandemic levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that hasn't happened. So, you know, considering that the the lifespan and the timing of those relief efforts are probably going to need a longer uh, runway in terms of horizon for keeping organizations afloat, it, they were essential for arts employment. You know, for most arts arts and cultural organizations, the largest expense item is paying people. It's paying artists. Right. It's paying staff. If those jobs had gone, uh, they would have really completely decimated the organizations as well as the workforce. Um, so th- th- the federal government efforts were a lifesaver. We'll leave it there. Zani Voss is the lead author of Navigating Recovery, Arts and Culture Financial and Operating Trends in Chicago. It's a new report commissioned by the city that lays out how arts orgs are doing. Thank you so much for breaking that down for us, Zani. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. The art scene is in crisis with declining ticket sales and membership and increased inflation. That's led to less programming. So says a report that's commissioned by the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events. But this presents opportunities to rethink funding and audience engagement and to strengthen the infrastructure that supports creativity here in Chicago. So what could that look like? Here to discuss is Kara Riopel, Managing Director at Chicago Shakespeare Theatre. Good to have you back, Kara. Hi, it's wonderful to be here. Leslie Honoré is a poet and CEO at Urban Gateways and co-chair of Mayor Johnson's Arts and Culture Transition Subcommittee. Always good to talk with you, Leslie. Good to see you again, Sasha. And Casey Smith is here, the Director of Programs at Arts Alliance Illinois. Thank you, Casey. Hi there. Happy to be here. So I'll start with you, Kara. Did you think that the study at all sort of illuminated what you'd been experiencing day to day? Well, first of all, we're just so grateful to DCASE for commissioning this study because we've all experienced this anecdotally, but seeing the hard data really brings home the ecosystem challenges that we are facing as an industry. Um, So what is so clear, right, as someone who sits in the organization is that we are all facing significant challenges, but this is an ecosystem problem that needs addressing with macro solutions for long-term solutions. Yeah. The report from DCASE, it found uh, there are nearly two-thirds less art offerings now than before the pandemic. Um, We're talking about productions, exhibitions, educational programming, lectures, and more. Uh, What is happening, Casey, to, to artists who depend on these bookings? Absolutely. They are in crisis. And I think a lot of times when we see these public, um, you know, articles about mass layoffs at different arts organizations, whether that be Steppenwolf or Looking Glass, these kind of these organizations that are really crucial to the arts and culture life here in Chicago, 
what is missing from that a lot of time is realizing that when programming is cut at all of these different organizations by almost two thirds, that's a mass layoff of those individual artists and gig artists that depend on those contracts. Mm -hmm. And that is what is not showing up sometimes in some of this data. So it's really it's it's a full ecosystem all of the individual artists also depend on the income and the revenue that is coming from those contracts mm -hmm. and when those don't exist they don't have unemployment benefits to to cushion that financial blow um so it's a real it's yeah. a really concerning problem. mass layoffs are never never a good thing right uh, leslie let's bring you in here arts education which is the mission of your uh, your organization that was just a, a mention in this report. What do you make of that? Um, I appreciate it being a mention because I think oftentimes we forget that art exposure does not begin when you're an adult and have money. It really begins as young as possible and that's Urban Gateway's mission is ensuring that every child regardless of the zip code that they live in has exposure to all the things that we know arts does for us. See each other as human beings, give us an opportunity to express, to create, to really, you know, find that niche that isn't always athletic or academic in schools. And the nonprofits that do arts education are feeling that tug as well. It may not be huge numbers of layoffs that um, a large organization is reporting, but just one person on our team that we have to lay off is one family that goes into this current economy struggling. It's one less arts educator that won't be available for a school that doesn't have traditional arts funding to expose youth to all the things that art does. So it is across the board. Arts are not a monolith, mm -hmm. um, but we are all experiencing this time um, painfully. Yeah. love that you said that arts are not a, a monolith. We were talking this morning as a team about just what people think of when they, they think of mm -hmm. the arts. And in a lot of cases, it's still like painters or Maybe photographers, right? Yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> but there's a lot more. Um, that report also found that pandemic funds were successful in keeping theaters open, as you know, and museums open and people with their jobs. What do you think that continued federal funding could accomplish, Kara? I always say that theater is about investing in people, right? And. Uh, really at the core of our product are the artists and people who are working in our administration and on our stages and in our communities and in our public schools and other schools to bring our programming to a wide variety of our audiences. And that investment, right, means that we can continue to build this robust cultural ecosystem that can house all sorts of organizations from small ones to large scale ones and that investment in our cultural ecosystem is what makes our city so healthy and vibrant. And I think recognizing that, continuing to push for that, to understand that we are a people-centric, people-first um, sector, and give us the runway, I guess this is the thing, right? We are still building back. We are a sector that's building back. We need a runway. Mm -hmm. We recognize that we need to be innovative and think through all these challenges that we're having, but invest in us because we bring so much and so much back into our communities. Got a strong reaction from you two when I mentioned the, the possibility of continued federal funding. What's on your mind, Leslie? Um, we are in desperate need of it. Um, 
and not just large organizations, small BIPOC organizations. Well, as well, without you know that pandemic funding, a lot of us would have had to have closed our doors completely. And so the thought of it going away, when we are, we know we are still rebuilding. We are still figuring out ways to do um, specifically performance arts and and preparing if there is another pandemic, if we have to continue to pivot again to ensure that our team and our teaching artists get the professional development that they need to do. Mm-hmm. But this is direct to people who then take these checks and live their lives, who take it into the economy. Art is not um, something that we just put on the wall. It's an economic driver. Everything that we do is art. It is not just painters and musicians and poets. It is your logo. It's your clothes. It's your makeup. It's your hair products. It's your phone. It's your computer. It's your desk. It's your curtains. All of that is art. All of that someone designed. And if we were to up and take that all away... How do we even talk about a narrative for any business? No one survives without art in this city. It is essential to every part of our lives. And if we don't really think hard about how we're going to continue to fund it, we fail. All of us. Everyone. The French government dedicates $17 billion to culture every single year. In comparison... The National Endowment of the Arts, which is the, the government agency that funds the arts, has a budget of only $228 million this year, which is a huge disparity. What do you make of that, Casey? I think we take arts and culture for granted. Mm-hmm. I think that there is a, a narrative in this country that is really damaging that arts and culture is a luxury that it is an afterthought, and that artists will continue to make whether they're being paid or not because they enjoy doing it. And I think that that thinking is really damaging, in particular to black and brown artists and creative workers who don't necessarily have the, come from the socioeconomic background where they have the ability to take on this kind of work and have that instability within their income. So when we're talking about government funding, I think it's really important to talk about what are the communities that are actually getting hit that don't have the donor base to be able to make up the um, that, that loss in revenue if public funding decreases. And that's something we're in budget season right now in Chicago. And I think it's really important given, um, given this report that's coming out, given the huge financial hardship that's being still being experienced by the sector, even though for a lot of us, right, like COVID feels over, right? Like we're going back out. We're not necessarily wearing masks everywhere. We're going in, right? It feels like it's something that's in the rear view mirror. Back to quote unquote normal. Back to quote unquote normal. But that is not the case financially for our arts and culture sector. So this is really the moment. And we're hoping to see that the Brandon Johnson administration recognizes that and keeps funding for Mm DCASE and all of the crucial services that they provide. Um, And honestly, that they increased that funding, because now is the moment where a lot of these organizations, as this federal funding is drying up, they are still getting hit and the money is gone. Sounds like you're also seeing an increase in funding from the the local and and federal government uh, could shift public perception of the value of the arts. Is that accurate, Kara? 
I think that's exactly right. We need a strong signal that this is as important as we all know it is, right? And government can lead with that message and should lead with that message. And I am optimistic that they will lead with that message. And I think that will then, another big area of opportunity is in the corporate sector, right? We need to together collaborate on what it means to make that value known from all all sizes of organization because, you know, for Chicago Shakespeare Theater to be successful, we also need that $150,000 operating on that, you know, a very shoestring budget to be also successful. So can we rally our government, our civic leaders, our corporate leaders to, to really embrace the value that we bring to the city? Casey? Yeah, and on that note, I think what we've seen as a trend is that that sort of corporate giving and corporate sponsorships has really dramatically fallen off. And so I think there's also a piece of this is really looking at why that is. I was just going to ask you that very question. (laughs) Why do you think that is? You know, I think that there are other spaces that folks are interested in and putting their their dollars, I think that there are also, to be perfectly frank, I think there are really, really great causes that some of these corporations are putting their dollars behind. Um, a lot of it also comes down to, you know, having race equity issues within some of these organizations and wanting to sponsor organizations to show that they are doing something and giving something back. I see. And I think some of that really comes back to not understanding that there is a thriving arts community in black and brown communities in Chicago that need that support and again do not have access to the same donor base that some of the other organizations have. Um, But I also just I want to say there are really kind of creative ways that we can be thinking about this. Something we hear over and over again from the field is an issue with access to affordable space. And actually one of our programs right now that is funded by DCASE is connecting Southside congregations with artists and arts organizations mm-hmm. in their neighborhood to be able to update their um, church spaces that aren't being utilized during certain parts of the week to be able to be used as studio spaces, as affordable performance spaces. So I think there are some really creative ways that we can address some of these um, issues, but we should not be throwing in the towel on public funding. We should not say, well, public funding ain't it because it has to be part of the conversation. Yeah, Leslie, earned revenue versus gift giving versus Mm -hmm. grants. I feel like it's a complicated funding puzzle for most organizations. How do organizations decide which strategy to focus on? And, And Ooh, is it possible to adapt? I'm triggered because um, <laughs> we are we are right in the season where we are completing it's, that it's and budget looking season. at that. Yeah, um, and just just not to you know be a dead horse when we're talking about we are still coming out of COVID. If anyone has ever been unemployed for any given amount of time, the moment you become employed does not wipe away the time before when you were struggling. There are still holes that you have to patch together. There are still ways that you have to figure out how is this budget going to work? How am I going to stretch it? And so a lot of arts organizations, especially the smaller ones who are not so small that we automatically qualify for funding and so large that we have endowments, we are in that squeeze when we're, we're saying, 
yes, we're doing better, but we continue to need help. We have years that we have to make up for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's difficult. And when we talk about you know revenue that you earn from programming, that shift is happening as well because supplies are increasing. We want to pay people living wages. Yeah. We want to be we want them to be able to take their checks and eat and pay rent. And so sometimes what comes back to the organization is small. There are some programs that Urban Gateways does that by the time we finish paying the artists what they deserve to be paid, we take home $20 from a show. Wow. And so when we go to our funders and when we go to our participants and when we go to, you know, people, because our letters are going to come out soon. It's 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 the season. Mm-hmm. Giving Tuesday is coming. We're going to start saying, hey, if you have something in your pocket, please share it with us. We're not asking you to donate because I'm buying a new building, although I would love to say that for an organization. We're saying we want to keep the lights on. We want to keep being able to employ people so they can live their best lives mm-hmm. and continue to give to the city in all the ways that their artistic practices do. It is, it's, it, and it's not solvable by just one area. And we are proud when the city leads with that because that's something that we can hold to corporate. Yeah. If the city can say, this is our commitment, join us. We value it. What better you know, flag can we possibly raise to any corporation, any private funding sector to say, this is what we're doing, add to it. We're not asking you to carry it. Don't ask us to carry it alone as well. But together we can make a really stronger impact. Do you see small organizations having to compete against larger, more resourced Always. We are always in the position to compete against someone who has a development team that has a slew of grant writers, who has all the connections. Um, And smaller organizations, quite frankly, are closer to the work. We're not, you know, separated from it by layers and layers of management. We're getting out there and doing it ourselves. We, We talk to the principals. We talk to the students. We're talking to the teaching artists. We're talking to people we've worked with for 30 years mm-hmm. and some we've worked with for three months. Urban Gateways has a 60-year-old legacy of increasing performing arts access to Chicago. And so we have seen many iterations of it. And the truth of the matter is no matter what stage we're in, we need it to be funded. So... It might be time then for us to rethink, uh, you know, our funding of the arts, right? Shifting from primarily supporting organizations to providing more direct support to the artists themselves. That I'm hearing a lot of that uh, through what you're saying now. I, I want to listen next to what Claire Rice, who's executive director at Arts Alliance Illinois, had to say about this subject when she was on Reset earlier this year. Our model in this business has been focused around funding organizations um, and perhaps not as focused on funding individual artists and creative workers. Um, That is changing and I think it's not an either or proposition. It needs to be a both and proposition. Our city needs to continue to invest in both individual creative workers and or organizations, mm-hmm. and that's pretty unique in the country that both our state arts council and our city um, does direct funding to individual artists and creatives. We need to keep that. We need to increase it. Yeah, Casey and Kara, I'd love to hear from you both on this. I'll start with you, Casey. I mean, what would increasing it, as Claire said, and in creating a guaranteed income for artists look like? Yes. Picture that world. Yes, take me to that world. And not just for artists, also for all gig workers that are in in that situation. So I think that going to Leslie's point about kind of smaller arts organizations, that operating 
that general operating funding, right? That funding that's not tied to a specific project, but is to keep the lights on and to keep the salaries paid. That is so crucial. But for individual artists currently, it's all project support in general, right? Like it's it all has to go to whatever their specific project is. And it's and they also have overhead. Mm-hmm. They have rent to pay. They have food that they need to buy. They have families to support. So I think part of what is exciting about the idea of a guaranteed income program is that it's really addressing that. It's it's addressing the fact that individuals also have overhead costs just like businesses, mm-hmm. just like organizations. And a lot of these individual artists are actually operating as small businesses, even though that we're not treating them as such mm. necessarily. Yeah. So I think it is you know, something that is extremely interesting to us. I think that it would go a really long way to solving some of the instability that we're seeing in the field. And again, I think that it's something that some other cities have piloted specifically for the creative arts. But I think there are there's a lot of our kind of gig workforce in the city that yeah. are so crucial that could benefit from something like that. Kara, something else that Claire said um was that, you know, pandemic relief, no doubt it saved us, but we've been kicking the can down the road all the way to 2023. And she predicted that we would soon enter a a scaling back phase now, as this report would suggest, right? Followed by closures, which we haven't seen too much of just yet. But does that seem likely to you? You know, I think she's absolutely correct in identifying that possibility. I think that you know, when it comes to th- thinking what we need right now, I was especially struck by the report in the report about working capital, right? Which is to say this pandemic funding did carry us through and we invested in our people. And I would just like to amplify, Casey, what you were saying mm-hmm. about making sure our artists are thriving and investing in our artists. Um, but now it's these these systems-wide problems, right? It's not that we were in a position during the pandemic to solve these true structural challenges, but I actually believe that with the investment, and we've talked about some of the sources of investment that we could leverage, we are a creative industry. If there's one thing we know about our artists, our people, they know how to do great things on limited resources. Mm -hmm. So you invest, but we have to be starting to think longer term to say what is needed right now, which is a lot to everyone's point. There are some real dire needs right now to keep the lights on, to keep the people employed, Mm -hmm. to continue to program because we know those numbers about the programming cuts that drives our audiences, that employs our our artists, that also drives giving. So how can we get that investment to say you people of anyone coming together with the civic leaders, with corporate, Mm -hmm. with all sizes of organizations, right, who are facing different challenges and say, how can we start to invest in longer term sustainability while ensuring we get there first? Leslie, just a minute left. Mayor Johnson's transition report outlined a goal of integrating arts and culture into all areas of city government. Um, You are a co-chair, as I mentioned, on the uh, city committee for arts and culture. So quickly, what would that look like? What are you recommending to Mayor Johnson? Um, In our report, what we recommended is that arts 
and artists were not brought on as decorative performance pieces at the end of something. We are not the sprinkles on the cupcake. We are the batter. We are the paper. We are the ingredients that go into it. We are the oven that it bakes in. Um, And so making sure that artists and art minds are there at the beginning of a project and not at the end, that we're having conversations between all of the city departments, that it is a cohesive narrative that we're going to tell anyway with art. The posters are going to go up. Mm -hmm. The wraps around the buses and the trains are going to happen. The pamphlets are going to be printed. The stickers are going to be stuck. Bring us in to have the conversation so we're not making missteps, so it's authentic. And so we are giving someone a chance to have an actual income. After a mural is up, the artist doesn't get any payment from that. After the painting is is used and reproduced, yeah. that's it. After I do a keynote, that's it until, until something else happens. Yeah. So let's be mindful of how we can ensure that that continues because the benefits from it does. Yeah. We'll have to leave it there. Leslie Honore, Kara Riapel, and Casey Smith. Thank you all so much. Thank, Thank you for having thank us. Thank you so much.